how many of you guys have smartphones with you today? Yeah, yeah awesome. okay. Like one person's like, no, I don't, but they're not going to admit it. They have their flip phone, and they're just texting and calling people all day long. Well, one of the things we're doing now is, I know some of you all like taking notes, and we all use our smartphones now, so the YouVersion Bible app, we now have our notes on there. So if you want to be able to follow along and you're not a journal person, uh, you can take your notes right on there. So I encourage you to make use of that, or at least if you're on social media, pretend like you're using YouVersion so I feel better about myself. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you today, go ahead and turn to James chapter 4. And we're continuing, this is week three of our series, Breakthrough. And the whole idea of Breakthrough is that when Jesus came and he saved you, it was miraculous, it was glorious, it was incredible. And God came and he saved you right where you were at. It wasn't because of, you know, how awesome you were, how good you were, all the things you had done. It was because Jesus loves you because you were created to be his child. And so he comes to you, he rescues you, he saves you. But now he doesn't just leave you at the place where you're at, but he has a destiny and a call for you. There are good works that he's created you to do. There's freedom that you were created to live in. There are obstacles and barriers that you were created to overcome. But oftentimes what happens in life is we come up to the obstacles and barriers that the enemy has set up for us, and instead of allowing God to just smash the way through for us, we come to the obstacle and we think, this is it. This is as far as I can go. I can go no farther. This is the limit of what I can do or what Jesus can do in me. But in this series, we're taking a look at the ways that God wants to bring breakthrough into your life and the ways that he enables and empowers and goes before you to see miraculous breakthroughs so you can do everything God's called you to do and so that you can be everything that God has called you to be. And this week, we're going to be taking a look at the book of James, and it just has all sorts of practical advice. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. I say that about every book. I realize that. But every one is my favorite book in the Bible. And uh, it's one of the earliest ones that we have in the New Testament, and James is going through, and he's really breaking down how it is that we live this new life that we've been called to. And he begins to talk about breakthrough, even though you might not recognize that's what he's actually talking about. A lot of times when we, we run into an obstacle in our life, we're looking at what the external thing is that's keeping us from being able to see breakthrough in our life. Uh, when we started this church, I think, okay, now Radiant Jackson's four years old because we're five. So when we started the church, it was, we went through ARC and they have the system and it's a process that you go through and it's, hey, if you do, the, like, if you follow this plan, if you do this marketing, if you establish these teams, if you do all these things, then we've done this for hundreds of churches, and we can predict that this is how many people you're going to have at your first service, and then this is how many people are going to stick with you when you launch, so this is your starting point. So for everything we did based on my personality, which I guess they missed that one, uh, they said we'd have like 350 people at our very first Sunday, and then we'd start with about 125 to 150, would kind of be where we started, and that was the, the launching point for the church, which is a real healthy way to do it. So I'm like, all right, you know, that's what we're going to do. And I remember someone asking me, he was a pastor, and he was listening to me explain this, and he goes, what you, what's going to happen if you don't get that many people? I was like, what are you talking about? Like, it's me. It's Jeremy Brown. You know? I was like, we're following the system. We've got the plan. We're doing all of these things. It's the association-related churches. They guarantee, like, you're going to have 350 people, and then you'll have 125, 150. And he's like, all right. And that should have been the first warning sign for me. So we have our first Sunday, and it's all pumped up, and and like 170 people come, which I should have been celebrating that was 170 people, because that's awesome, but we were expecting 350 people. And of those 170 people, probably 168 of them were friends and family, <laughs> and they never came back. 
And so I remember, I was like, okay, you know, it's, maybe it was too sunny. It was September 16th. It was a beautiful day. So next week it'll be cloudy and people are going to come to church, right? And so the next week we had 50 people. And I remember talking to my coach, and this was the last time my coach ever talked to me. And, and he's like, you had how many people? I'm like, we had 170, and then we had 50. He's like, I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm sorry. Like, I've never encountered this before. And so I'm thinking, oh, gosh, like, this is awful. Even my coach has abandoned me now. And so I'm going through, I'm like, okay, we got 50 people. All right, what's, like, we need breakthrough because we came here, we left everything behind so we could come, and we could tell the people of Ann Arbor the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that there's life and salvation and freedom and all of these things. Like, we didn't put all of our money and all of our time and sacrifice everything so that we could fail. And so I started saying, okay, what's, I need breakthrough. Like, our marketing Obviously, it was, the mailer was terrible. I knew that color scheme was wrong. We shouldn't have done it. We needed a, a marketing breakthrough. It was, uh, you know what? Or it, it's the drummer. It's that drummer the Lord has given us. If, and I love Jared. He's not even here right now. That's why I can say it. But like, you start looking for like, what's the thing outside that I have to see breakthrough in? And all of my friends and pastors and other people are planning churches. Hey, Jeremy, how's it going? Oh, it's great. We're growing because we had the 51 people the next week. You know, it's small growth. It's like 2% growth this week, but, you know, that's, that's pretty solid. You do that every week. And it's just like sitting at like 50, 55 people every single week. Like, God, I need breakthrough. Jesus, do something because I'm so tired of everybody calling me, hey, how's Radiant Ann Arbor going? Oh, it's great. Someone got pregnant, so we grew another 4%. We're counting them already. Like... In the early days of the church, if you were pregnant, we counted twice, and sometimes by faith we counted three times because we bleed for a twin blessing <laughs> over you. And it was like, God, like, we need breakthrough, we need more people, because every time someone's talking to you, it's like, yeah, we're still like 50 people. What are you doing wrong? I don't know. We need some breakthrough, Jesus, and just praying. I'm like, God, like, would you give us more people? Jesus, would you allow us to grow? Would you do something? God, what is it that we're doing wrong? Which system do we have that's wrong? What's, what is it that's happening here? But I'm so tired of feeling like the world's worst pastor. Like, if we had 55 people, there's got to be someone worse than me. I can be the second worst pastor. I can live with that. But Jesus, don't let me be the world's worst pastor. This goes on for like a year. It's still like 50 people. And what I discovered through all of this was that the problem wasn't outside of me. The thing that I needed breakthrough on wasn't systems, it wasn't marketing, it wasn't my preaching, although Lord knows I did need that, but it wasn't the greatest need. It wasn't our drummer, because he's awesome. The breakthrough that I needed was something that was inside of me. Because my motivation had changed. You can be doing something really good for Jesus. God, I have these great plans for this ministry that you've called me to. God, this great idea for this business, the way I'm going to fund the kingdom. Jesus, there's all of these things. There's these good, godly dreams and desires that you have inside of your heart. But you keep running up to something, and you need breakthrough from it. And sometimes it's because there's, there's become an issue of pride inside of, inside of your own heart. It's not an external thing that you're having to fight against. It's not that Satan is doing something externally that has to be broken through. It's that you have allowed your heart to change. And what you need breakthrough in is the area of pride in your life. You see, what started out is, God, I just want to reach the lost. I want people to find life in you. I want you to receive glory. I want you to build a family. I still wanted those things, but the greater desire was, God, I don't want to feel like I'm the worst pastor in the world. 
I want to feel some validation in what it is that I'm doing. My other friend who started with 150 people and now he's 223, and I know because I check his Facebook every single day to see how many new people they had. Like, God, like, let me be at least as good as them because I feel like I'm really bad at what I do based on what someone else is doing. So God, for my pride, for my own ego, for my own validation, would you allow us, this church to grow and to be able to do something? Now, that's tough to even stand here and be able to tell you that I had gotten so sidetracked from the good thing God had called me to do to allow some other motivation to come into it. But that's the temptation for every single one of us. And everything you do in life is the motivation just that you want to bring Jesus glory or are you somehow finding validation in what you're doing? Yeah. I am important. I am good. You know, my wife, like, she's incredible. She was um, the 2017 like, most outstanding nurse of the year at St. Joseph Hospital. And so like, it's like, that's awesome. Like, because she is. She's just so humble and she's so kind and she's just such an incredible person. Her only flaw is her taste in men, but I'm so grateful for that flaw. <laughs> and as I was talking with her about this last night, and she's like, yeah, you know what? I think that even happens to me. And I'm like, surely not my angelic wife. She's like, sometimes like, I, it feels good. Like, I want to do good because it makes me feel good and it makes other people look at me like I'm better at what I do. And I like that feeling that I get from it instead of just saying, Jesus, I want to do the best job I can at my work and in what I'm doing because I'm working as unto you. And when I have people look at me and they see what I'm doing, I want them to see the reflection of you and the way that I serve you. And I want you to be glorified. Like, let it not be about me whatsoever, but Jesus, I'm going to pour myself out into this and I want to be elevated in what I do, not for my glory, not for my satisfaction, not to build up my own ego to validate myself, but Jesus, just so that you would receive glory and so that it'd be a platform for other people to hear the message of Jesus Christ. I was like, you get up here and preach, which is maybe why she's not here right now. <laughs> uh, but this is something that every single one of us deals with. It's the pride that's inside of our heart. I read this quote by Zinzendorf, who's one of the people that I read a lot. And this was one of the ones that convicted me so much. And he said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Jesus, I want to make my mark on this world. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That's what John the Baptist says. He's poured his life into this ministry to point people towards Jesus, to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes and he sees Jesus, John has the humility in his heart to be able to see him, and he tells his disciples, some of the disciples of Jesus started out being disciples of John. And when he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I must decrease so that he can increase. What John was able to break through was the thing that I was struggling with, was that he'd let go of pride. He'd embraced humility. And because of that, he was able to know that his life and his ministry, it wasn't about him at all. The platform that he had wasn't about him. The platform that he had been given was all about Jesus. 
And he sent the people that were following him over to follow after Jesus. And the crowds that had been following him and coming to him, he sent them to follow after Jesus so that he could slip into obscurity. And he goes to jail. He's beheaded alone. And that's the way that John ends his life. He saw a breakthrough. John saw the thing that God had called him to. He'd been called and set apart to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And because he had such humility in his heart, because he dealt with pride, he was able to see the breakthrough and to do everything God called him to do and to be everything that God had called him to be. But my question is, do you need breakthrough in your life right now? Is there a wall that you're hitting that you can't push through? There's something God's called you to. Is it possible that it's not an external breakthrough that you need this morning, but it's an internal breakthrough of pride inside of your own heart? This is what James says about pride in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. He says, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Ouch. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. What James is talking about right here is that it's not always the external work of the enemy that we need to see breakthrough in, but so many times the turmoil that you see in your life, the barriers and the obstacles that you're coming up against in life are the result of the pride that you've allowed to take root inside of your own heart. And he starts talking about the things that pride does. And the first thing he's saying is that pride distorts reality. What pride does is it makes it so you look at reality and you see something completely different. One of the best examples of this is Satan. What's the original sin? The original sin wasn't eating the fruit from the tree. The first sin that we know of was that Lucifer, Satan, was in heaven, and it says that he was created, he was uh, the, the, this great angel, he was the covering cherub, which meant that in the, in the presence of God, in the throne of God, that he stood there with his wings out, and he just stood there, and he covered the glory of God. He was the one that was closest to God. A lot of people think he was the worship leader of heaven. It says that he was created beautiful and perfect. When you read through Isaiah and Ezekiel, you see some passages about the way Satan was. But it says this, that pride was found in his heart. And as he stood there, I think about this, God, the presence of God, the tangible presence of God. And you're sitting there and you're staring right at his beauty, right at his goodness, right at his perfection. And Satan looks at it, looks at God, and pride begins to stir up in his heart, and he says, I'm as good as God. Think about this, like the reality, how warped reality has become for, 
for a created being to look at God, to see the full glory and beauty of God, is able to look at God and say, I'm as good as he is. It says that he wants to put his throne up next to God, saying, I want to be equal in authority and power with God. Pride made it so he could look exactly at reality more than we've ever seen it. But pride so distorted his view of reality that he thought that he shouldn't be submitted to God, but that he should be equal to God. And, and so what happens? God shows them that indeed they are not equal. It says that there's war in heaven. And a lot of times we think of like war in heaven. It's like, you know, duking it out. Like it's a back and forth battle. No. Like what happened was God was like, you think you're as good as me? Like it was no match. It, they're not co-equals. They are not anywhere near the same plane. As God is all-powerful, and Satan has a lot of power compared to like us, finite beings, but he is no match for God. And it says that a third of the other angels fell with him, and they were all kicked out of heaven. It was no contest because God is not equal to anyone else. Satan got a quick understanding of the reality of, of what was going on. But pride stirred up inside of him, and made him distort reality in a way that led to just absolutely devastating ruin for him. And this is what else pride does, is it feeds entitlement. This is what Satan does. He says, hey, I'm as good as God. Like, I should have a throne right next to his. I should be equal to him. That pride made him feel a sense of entitlement. Probably the, the, like the, the best analogy we have for that, what we experience of the pride of Satan wanting to be next to God, is if you guys have ever been driving down 94, if you're heading uh, west... You know where 14 comes in and it goes down from three lanes to two? And so you merge over because you love Jesus and you follow civil laws. And there's that one idiot that's just blowing by you in the left lane with the turn signal on. Or like traffic's backed up and it's that one person. Like it's a mile of cars backed up and they're just flying up next to you. And you're like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, you think you're better than me? Like, you think that every, like, what's going on in your life is more important than everybody else's? That's the entitlement pride of Satan manifest on 94. <laughs> like, you think that you deserve something. You think that you're better. You think that something should be given to you because of who you are. The way that you've distorted reality makes you think you're entitled to something more than you really are. But this is what else pride does, is it partners us with the world. Not with God, but it partners us with the world. And that speaks to the fallen, the broken systems, the way that we operate, the pride, lust, greed, you know, violence, inhumanity, all of those things. That's what pride does, is it partners us with the way that the fallen world operates. So this is what happens in me. When some jerk with distorted reality feels entitled and they want to like blow by and, and squeeze in next to me, pride causes me to want to partner with the world and like, I ride the person in front of me's bumper. Like, there is no getting in here. And like, I look straight ahead. Like, I'm not looking because if I make eye contact, I'll feel compassion for them and I'll relent and I'll let them in. My wife's like, honey, let them in. I'm like, don't look. Kids, look straight forward. Nobody look to the left. And they're just sitting there and you can like feel the blinker next to your face. I'm like, no. Because what happens is pride makes me be like, do you think they're better than me? Well, now I feel in total. I'm not giving up my spot for them. Like, they should have merged over a mile back like everybody else did. But the same pride that they're feeling now is stirred up inside of me, and instead of showing grace and compassion, what does Jesus say we're supposed to do for our enemies who would come and cut us off and try to merge too late? Let them in. Love your enemies. 
Bless those who would curse you. Turn the other cheek. Make space for them to be able to get into your lane. But that's not the way that I ever feel when that happens because pride is stirred up inside of me and it makes me a partner with the systems and the ways of the world as opposed to a partner with God and his kingdom. And then in 1 Peter it says this, and this is maybe the hardest one about what pride does. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Pride is opposed by God. It's not that it's something that God's indifferent towards. It's not that he wishes that you would live a different way. God says that he actually opposes you when you're proud. Life is tough enough. I don't need the opposition of the God who nothing is impossible for in my life. So why does God oppose you when you're proud? It's not that he hates you. It's not that he stopped loving you. But what he does is he recognizes what pride is going to do inside of you. He doesn't want the pride that stirred up inside of Lucifer's heart that caused him to, to be disqualified from his call, to walk away from everything he was created to be, from everything he was created to do and to bring ruin and destruction and eternal separation from God to bear fruit inside of your heart. Because that's exactly what pride will do in every single one of us. Pride's going to distort reality. It's going to cause entitlement to be built up inside of us. It's going to partner us with the ways and the systems of the world. And God himself is going to oppose it in your life. You know why I think we didn't grow that first year? Because God was opposing me. He had to deal with the pride in my heart first because I was following the same path that Lucifer walked down. God, I'm just as good as these other people and their churches are growing. How come I'm not growing? Like, aren't, aren't I entitled to some growth to feel like I'm making a difference in this world? That pride was going to lead to destruction for me. So God in his grace and God in his mercy came and he opposed me and he set up a barrier and a block for me so that I couldn't continue to walk into the future and into the destiny and into the calling. If I can't handle a church of 50 people because of the pride of my heart, how on earth could God trust me with a church of 500 people? What would pride do in my heart if I actually felt like I was important? Like, what would pride do in my heart if I actually thought I was doing a good job? I'm the man of God. These people are lucky to have me. Let me write a book. I need to blog. People need to hear. I've, I've, I've got it all figured out. God opposed me until I came to that place of where I humbled myself and I repented and said, God, forgive me. I took it from being about you and being about your glory to making it about me and about my glory. Jesus, forgive me. And when I did that, it says in Peter that when you humble yourself, it says that he begins to exalt you. He begins to move you 
into the destiny that he's called you to. He begins to give you a platform that you can use for his glory. And this is what humility does for us. Humility reveals truth. When you're humble and you come before God, what happens is instead of seeing yourself as being great, the truth is revealed that there is no one who is like God. And what pride will do, it will distort reality and make you feel like God isn't good. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. God's holding out on us. He's keeping something back from us. They doubted the motive of God. They doubted the heart of God. But humility puts you in that place where you continue to see how beautiful he is, how good he is, how perfect he is, how generous he is towards us, and how he wants nothing but the best for us. Uh, humility feeds thankfulness. You come, like, this doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen in your life. It doesn't mean that you're not going to encounter great difficulties in your life. Here's the difference. When you have pride in your heart and you encounter difficulties, that entitlement comes and says, God, I, I'm, I deserve better than this. God, I poured my life out for you, and this is what happened to me. Like, this is the thanks that I get. I remember when we were watching Anna's dad die and thinking, God, like, this is the thought. I have given up everything, everything that we have for you. And I'm laying in bed with a stomach flu knowing that my father-in-law is about to pass from this earth in a terrible way. And I prayed for all of these other people, and I've seen them healed. I've been healed. We prayed for him, and he suffers, and we're hurt, and we're broken by this. Pride says, I deserved better, God. You failed me. What happened? But humility comes, God, this hurts. God, I don't understand. God, this doesn't make sense to me. I'm still so thankful because you've never left me. You've never abandoned me. God, I'm so thankful that even as Lee passes from this world, that he moves into glory. God, I'm so thankful that we have the hope of the resurrection. God, I'm so thankful for the hope that we have of the future. God, I'm so thankful for this man who I got to know and to call my father-in-law. Jesus, I'm so thankful for all of the blessings that you pour out on me. Humility will cause you to be thankful where pride will cause you to feel entitled. And then humility also does this. It partners us with God. That we become a friend of God, that humility allows us to partner with God in the work that He's doing. If, if there's the dream and the vision that you have and you're encountering breakthrough right now, or you're needing breakthrough, I mean, pride's gonna keep you from walking into that. Pride's gonna be the barrier. It's gonna partner you with the world, the fallen systems that we live in. But when we partner with God, when we humble ourselves, it says that we partner with God. And everything that you've been called to do and everything you've been called to be is all partnering with God. We've been made partners in the ministry of reconciliation. But it means that we have to have humility inside of our lives so that we can be partners with God. And then it also says this, is that it's empowered by grace. Humility is hard. It's not something that comes naturally to us. Naturally, we're proud. But when we make that decision to humble ourselves, the humility that we receive is actually empowered by God. He enables you to be humble. And this is the best example that I can see of, of humility that's laid out for us. And it's in Jesus. In Luke 22, verses 39 through 44, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, 
If you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So what's happening here is Jesus, he's about to go to the cross. His disciples don't even know it yet. They don't understand. But Jesus knows that he's about to be betrayed, to be arrested, and to go to the cross. And he does not want this. He knows the pain that he's about to go through. He knows what he's about to have to endure. And he also knows that he could say no. That he doesn't have to do this. So he goes and he starts to pray. And he's just in absolute anguish and turmoil. It says that the anguish is so great that he's sweating drops of blood, which is a medical thing where you become under so much stress that you actually cause his capillaries to burst and different things, and you actually begin to sweat drops of blood. That's how much anguish Jesus is in, knowing what obedience to the Father is going to mean for him. And this is what I love about Jesus. He didn't use his rights, he didn't use his privileges to better himself. He used all of it for us. He didn't have to go to the cross. He didn't want to. That's what, like, if anything, this shows us how much Jesus did not want to go to the cross. He says, if there's any other way, God, if there's any other way, and in that moment, pride speaks to him. What does pride say? There's another way. You don't have to go to the cross. It distorts reality. What does pride say? You're God. You don't have to go through this. You don't have to do this. You deserve better than the cross. But Jesus has the humility to be able to say, not my will, but your will be done. And he partnered with God the Father. And he saw the greatest breakthrough has ever occurred in this world. Every single one of us, we're going to come into moments in our lives where you're going to have to do something costly. And pride's going to speak to us. And we do this all the time. We try to elevate ourselves to equal status with God. I know the Bible says this, but, you know, that's like an old book. And, you know, like, I know the Bible says this, but I don't want to do that. What we're doing is we're elevating ourselves to the position and the place of God, where we think that we have the power and the authority and the wisdom to be able to determine what's right and what's wrong. That's what Adam and Eve did. We want to be able to determine right and wrong for ourselves instead of receiving revelation of truth from God and having to follow after that. It's every time there's a habitual sin issue in our life where we know as we continue to engage in that sin again and again and again and we know what's wrong but pride says it's okay we can do this it's every time we want others to look at us to see how good we are see how we've got it all together and we can't be real with them so that they can see beneath the veneer that we're messed up and we're broken and we need Jesus to do something in our hearts. It's every time we have the opportunity to use a platform to bring glory to Jesus, but instead we bring glory to ourselves. 
want other people to look at us to see how good we are. We want to find validation from the approval of other people. Pride leads us into those things. But humility comes. And when we choose to humble ourselves and say, God, I don't understand why you said this in the Bible. But I'm going to humble myself. I might not like it. I might not even agree with it. But you're God, and I'm not. I'm going to let you define truth, and I'm going to submit myself to it. It's coming and saying, God, I'm hurt right now. I'm broken. I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand what's going on. But still I believe that you're good. And I'm so thankful. Jesus, I'm so thankful. It's every time we come and we say, God, I'm, I'm not going to partner with the systems of the world anymore to try to see breakthrough in my life. But I'm going to partner with you. And every time we do that, it says that God's grace comes and enables us to be humble. God's grace comes and allows pride to be defeated inside of our life. Jesus says that he was empowered by the angel as he's sitting there praying, as he's humbling himself before God the Father in that place of not my will but your will be done. An angel comes and ministers to him and strengthens him. You know, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you right now if you're a believer. And the Holy Spirit is going to give you a grace and to give you encouragement and to give you strength so that you can humbly walk with Jesus and so that you can see pride defeated in your life so that you can see breakthrough. We're all going to die a death. Pride brings a death that leads to destruction. But humility brings a death that leads to resurrection. That's what we see in Jesus. Humility led him to the cross, and that led him to resurrection. And that's what's going to happen in our lives, too. We'll either see death and destruction in our lives because of pride, or we'll allow death to pride to come into us so that we can see resurrection in our lives. Can you stand with me this morning? I know this, this one isn't as funny as last week. But this is the barrier that a whole lot of us are facing. We're all facing. But maybe God's highlighting that to you right now. You don't have to keep living the way you've been living. When we humble ourselves, God comes and he gives you power. And he'll exalt you so that you can see breakthrough in your life. Jesus this morning, would you speak to our hearts? God, would you search us? Would you know us? God, would you reveal any pride that we have allowed to take root inside of us? Jesus, would you forgive us? If that's something you need, and I'm just raising my hands because this is a posture of surrender to God and it's a posture of receiving. So God, I surrender to you. I surrender my pride to you. I surrender my ego to you. 
Jesus, forgive me of that sin. And Jesus, would you pour out your grace into me? God, would you pour out your grace into every person here with their hand raised this morning? Jesus, empowering them to walk in humility, empowering them to see breakthrough in their life, God. God, would you change our hearts? God, would you help us to see you truly? God, would you help us to see who we are truly? God, would you stir up thankfulness inside of our hearts? God, would you fight against entitlement inside of our hearts? Jesus, would you continue and to make it so that instead of partnering with the world, God, that we would be partners with you. James said, mourn and be wretched. God, would there be holy mourning, holy wretching inside of our souls because of the way that we've allowed pride to infect us. But God, we also know that you're the one who's going to bring joy, that you're the one who's going to bring peace. So God, we repent. Forgive us. God, we turn fully towards you. From this day forward, we commit to walking humbly with you, submitting ourselves to you. Jesus, our lives are all for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to take communion together. The ushers are going to pass out the elements. Uh, there's two cups stacked on top of each other. And I just encourage you to grab that and hold on to it, and uh, then we're going to take it all together. Uh, we practice open communion here. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life and decided to follow after him, you're welcome to take communion with us. If that's something you haven't done, we encourage you to just let it pass by because we believe this is something that's for, uh, for the believers and for the family. Maybe this morning you decided, I want to be a part of that family. Grab it. Let's do this together. The assurance Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine heir of salvation purchase of God born of his spirit washed in his blood let's go into the course this is my story this is my story this is my song praising my savior all the day long this is my story this is my song praising my Savior all the day long. Jesus, we remember that our freedom at this new life that we have, the ability to walk in humility and to partner with you, was bought for us on the cross because you humbled yourself. Jesus, as we take the bread this morning, we remember that your body was broken so that we could be made whole. And we remember it was the blood that you shed that atoned for our sins. 
that purified us, that washed us, that made us so that we could clothe ourselves with humility and partner with you to be heirs with Christ Jesus. So as we drink together, we remember the blood that was shed for us. Jesus, we're so grateful for the hope that we have of the future. But Jesus, we're also grateful for the life that you've made possible for us now. And God, we take hold of that. We want more of you, Jesus. We pray that we would de decrease so that you could increase in our lives and in our hearts. Jesus, would you cause us to be a humble people who are submitted to you in everything. Jesus, a special grace as we make that hard decision. God, we pray that the power of the enemy and of pride would be broken over us and that we would be a free and humble people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, look, Usher is going to pass around some buckets and you can drop the cups off in there. Uh, this morning, I'm going to have my prayer partners come forward. If there's anything we can pray with you about, I encourage you, come, let us pray with you. Maybe you need encouragement. Maybe you need some people to pray with you about a pride issue you're dealing with. Maybe you're sick, need wisdom or relationship, whatever it is. God moves miraculously in response to the prayers of his people. So come, let us pray for you. If not, I encourage you, uh, be there for your groups this week. If you haven't signed up for a group, you can still do that. You can go get a breakthrough group uh, at RadiantA2.com or stop by the iPads at Guest Central and someone can help you get signed up for one. And uh, we're praying this Thursday night, 8 o'clock. We'll be continuing to pray for breakthroughs. So come out, join us, and we'll see you all next week. God bless.